Hi there! Welcome to Growpoint Timbagete Podcast. How are you today? We're so glad you could come and listen with us as we learn about Jesus' life here on earth. A few weeks ago, we learned about Jesus' teachings on how to be rooted and grounded in Him. The more you stay rooted, the more you are aware of Him. The intimacy with Him as you stay grounded is one of the grace-filled benefits that is worth being joyful for. Next on our series is called Empowered Witness. The more you are rooted and grounded, the more the inner person in you changes. And these changes in you can cause other people to want to know more about Jesus. Not only are we witnesses to His amazing grace, we are also empowered by Him. How? Why? All these we can learn during the next podcast. It's a good thing to note, beloved, that the Holy Spirit that empowered the apostles more than 2,000 years ago is the same Spirit that lives inside of you today. Be a powerful witness to our powerful God. The title of my message is Waiting for the Spirit, taken from Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, down to verse 26. And we started our brand new series, Empowered Witness, last week, which is a study through the book of Acts. And in this study, we can expect to learn how the Spirit of God worked through the church, how He enables the believers, the church, to faithfully testify for the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember that the Lord Jesus Christ carefully and prayerfully chose and called His disciples. He spent about three years with them, taught them through His words and actions, and more importantly, in the span of about three and a half years, He revealed to them His true identity as the Son of God who came from glory in heaven down here on earth, not to be served, but to serve and sacrifice his life to save sinners. The disciples saw his glorious power over diseases as he healed the sick. They saw his power over danger as he calmed the storm and the raging sea. He, I mean, they saw his power over deficiency or the lack of adequate supply as he multiplied the fish and the bread. He, they saw His power over the devil and the demons as He cast them out. And they even saw His power over death as they witnessed how Jesus raised the dead back to life. More importantly, they saw His power over sin and the grave as He rose again on the third day after He was crucified and after He died on the cross for the sins of all humanity. They saw the empty tomb. They saw the grave clothes and the risen Lord Himself talking to them, teaching them, and even taking a meal with His disciples. And now the disciples are convinced that Jesus is who He claims to be. And they are witnesses of these things. But the Lord Jesus told them they needed to wait for the Holy Spirit who will empower them to be His witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. And after hearing the Lord's final instructions and after witnessing His glorious ascension into heaven in Acts chapter 1 verses 1 down to 11, the apostles and the other disciples, 120 of them, are to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem as Jesus promised. Going back to Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard of me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And like the first Christian followers, we are witnesses of Jesus Christ as well. We are called and we are commanded to go and make disciples of all nations. And we also need the Holy Spirit to empower and enable us to do that. Today, let us continue to look at the final preparations of the apostles and the other disciples before they launch this global gospel movement of the Spirit of God through the church. And in this message, waiting for the Holy Spirit, here's the main idea. What we can learn from this passage is that God wants us, His people, to trust in Him completely for life and ministry. This was a lesson that the Lord Jesus Christ you know, modeled before His disciples. This was the kind of life that He lived before them. He set to them a very good example. Jesus trusted the Father completely for His life and ministry. And by the way, this is how Jesus wants His disciples and us to live. Our faith and confidence in God will become very evident through our humble submission and joyful obedience to Him and His Word. At this point, we can say that the disciples were trusting God completely as we look at how they responded to the final instructions and the glorious ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. After Jesus was taken before them unto heaven, and after they heard the angels speak to them and telling them about the second coming of Christ, now on their own, okay, after receiving the final instructions, after Jesus ascended back to heaven, they were to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So what did they do as they waited for the coming of the Spirit? And as they waited for the coming of the Spirit, this is what they did. Number one, they went back to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1 verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount, of, um, from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jeru Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. The question is for us, okay? The question for us is this, rather. Why did they return to Jerusalem? The answer is because they were instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself to wait for the coming of the Spirit, the promise of the Father, in Jerusalem. Going back to Acts chapter 4, Jesus told them not to depart from Jerusalem. And so in obedience to God's Word, because now they are completely trusting God for their life and ministry, they take heed of God's Word, they listen to the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were, you know, across Jerusalem. They were there in the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended to heaven. So they went back to Jerusalem. Apparently, the disciples needed to surrender their own aspiration and imagination concerning what, the, you know, what they expect from the Messiah. They had to give up their Jewish ideas of how the Messiah will deliver God's people and how he will establish God's kingdom here on earth. So they had to give that up. They were probably confused. They, were pro they probably still had a lot of questions that needs to be answered. But at this point, we can say that they were, I mean, Jesus has just ascended into heaven. They just saw the resurrected Christ. They were convinced of his true identity. Now they are completely committed to him. And they, wait, they are now waiting for 
the Holy Spirit. So, in obedience to the king of the universe, they went back and entered into the upper room, which is most probably the same place where they had the Last Supper. And when that, that place where they had the Last Supper was the, the place where Jesus, okay? That's where Jesus first gave the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. If you go back to John chapter 14, verses 16 down to 18, this, was, this is what Jesus said. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, another of the same kind, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. By the way, the coming of the Holy Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is the coming of the Spirit of Christ. And this is a fulfillment of the promise of the Lord Jesus when he, he said, I will be with you always. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Because the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. And if this is true, that the upper room where they, they went up okay, and where, where they came in is the same upper room when they had the Last Supper and the same place where they heard those words in John chapter 14, then the Spirit of God was given in the same place the promise about His coming was given by Jesus to His disciples. Isn't that amazing? So where He, he gave the promise of the coming of the Spirit became, became the venue for the actual fulfillment of that promise when the Holy Spirit came. Similarly, okay, if we desire to join this global gospel movement of the Spirit through the church of Jesus Christ, we must come before God and surrender all of our own aspirations and ambitions unto Him. We must go back to where we first met God and commit to trust Him completely for our life and ministry. That's what we need to do. You want to be part of this global gospel movement, then you need to go back. Okay, to where you first met God. You need to go back to that point when you completely trusted God. When you made a decision to trust the Lord for your eternal salvation. When you made that, maybe you need to go back to the point where you made some commitments to the Lord. To serve Him and to live your life for Him. You need to go back to that point. For these disciples... They had to surrender and go back to Jerusalem where Jesus said they will receive the Spirit of God. And maybe for you and I, you need to go back to your personal commitment to the Lord. Or maybe if you are a Christian who is drifting away or who has drifted away, ask the Lord to bring you back to Himself. May the Lord lead you back to where you started your relationship with Him and refresh you about His plan and purpose for you. Maybe you're discouraged and you need to go back. That's your starting point. For them, they need to go back to Jerusalem because that's where Jesus said, this is where you will receive the promise of the Father. This is where the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God will come upon you and you will be empowered to be my witnesses to the whole world. If you want to become a faithful, effective, empowered witness, perhaps you need to go back to your own Jerusalem. You need to go back to where you first started your relationship with God. Secondly, after they went back, they went up. They went up to the upper room, verse 13 and verse 14. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room 
where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. Obviously, Judas of Iscariot is no longer with them. Verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so they went up to the upper room, probably the same upper room where they had the Last Supper, where they received the, the verbal promise of the coming of the Spirit, and they prayed together. They prayed, first of all, persistently. The Bible says that they continued together in another translation. It means that they all joined together constantly in prayer. There's a theologian and writer, A.T.R. Robertson, who said they stuck to praying. In the ESV, the Bible says they were devoting themselves to prayer, which teaches us that these disciples have learned the value of seeking God in prayer as Jesus modeled it for them before. Remember these disciples, including Peter, James, and John. These were the guys who were at the inner circle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember how they struggled to stay up for one hour and pray when Jesus was wrestling with the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. But they are different now. Apparently, they have changed. And now, on their own choice okay, and volition, they chose to pray. We can imagine they prayed for comfort and courage as now the words of Jesus Christ okay, that He spoke to them before are coming true before their eyes. They probably recall the words of Christ about how they will be persecuted like they persecuted Jesus. They may have imagined the opposition okay, they're about to face as they go and testify for Him, for their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all lost and hostile world. They may have imagined taking the place of their teacher as they, I know, as He engaged the, the religious leaders of the day, teaching the crowds of people and healing the sick. They may be asking questions like, will we be successful this time? Because they failed in the past. They failed to cast out the demons. They failed to heal the sick. They may be asking that question, will we be successful? You know, now that the master has gone to heaven. What will they do to us? Will they do to us what they did to him? And in response to all of these thoughts that are, you know, flooding in their minds, they join their hearts and minds, and in one accord, they prayed together, and rightly so. So they prayed persistently. The Bible says, these all continued, or they devoted themselves to prayer. Not only were they persistent, they were united. They prayed unitedly. The Bible says, with one accord, with the women and, the, uh, with the women and you know, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. It is amazing to me how this man, okay, who argued who is the best among them, who deserves to sit at the right and the left, uh, you know, hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, now joining their hearts together and uniting together in prayer. I learned this, that prayer is the best way to build unity in the church, the best way to build unity in the family and in our society. We need to realize that God is pleased to pour out His Spirit upon believers who live in unity. Listen to this, every mighty move of the Holy Spirit, whether, he's, you know, whether the movement of the Holy Spirit recorded for us in Scripture or whether recorded for us in modern Christian history, 
every mighty work of the Holy Spirit has always been preceded by a season of prayer of the people of God. Prayers that are fervent, persistent, faith-filled prayers of God's people. And we need to look at the same person, pursue the same mission, pray for the same reason. Yes, it's good to pray personally and individually and privately because, you know, we need to do that. Jesus told us that, you know, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, the great Sermon on the Mount. I believe it's in Matthew 6. When you pray, pray privately in your, you know, in your closet so that your Father in heaven who knows secretly will reward you. When you pray privately, you please God personally. But there is also room and there is a place for corporate church-wide prayers. Because when we pray corporately, we please God collectively. As a church, we need to learn to, you know, to do corporately what we all do individually in our private homes. So if you worship God personally, you need to worship with God's people corporately. If you pray to God privately and personally, you need to learn to pray with God's people corporately as well. So they, after they went back, they went up in the upper room and they prayed persistently and unitedly. After that, they went forward. So they went back, they went up, they went forward after that. What did they do? They went forth and replaced Judas. That's what we can see in verses 15 down to verse 26. Peter may have recalled the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Let me read that verse to you. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne. Right? That's what happened in Acts chapter 1. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. Judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The problem is there are no longer 12. Because Judas, who was obviously not saved, betrayed the Lord, and afterwards, he killed himself. He committed suicide. So there are only 11 of them. And Peter, under the leadership and the inspiration of God, okay, Acted upon God's word to avoid confusion. Obviously, Peter was not trying to come up with something on his own. He remembered the words in the Old Testament. I don't know if it's because he studied it. I don't know if, you know, in the past few days, he looked into God's word. He may be asking that question. I don't know if, you know, for the past few days when Jesus was still with them before he ascended to heaven. I don't know if, you know, you know, we don't know if he had a private con conversation with the Lord and maybe he asked the Lord about what, what should happen to Judas and, you know, what, 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 what needs to take place. We don't know that. But either way, Peter acted upon it as now the leader of this new band of believers who are about to shake the world under the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we can learn from them in this section simply is this. That they submitted to the word. Acts chapter 1 verse 15 and 16. Listen to the words here. In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120. And he said this. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Who became a guide to those who were arrested 
Jesus. The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand through, I mean, by the mouth of David concerning Judas. That was the motivation of Peter. That was the reason why Peter stood up and acted upon the situation. God, through Peter, reassured his disciples that Judas's treachery and betrayal was prophesied, and that should encourage them to continue to trust in the Lord. Because now they saw how faithful are the prophecies of Scripture. That what the Scripture said would happen really happened before their eyes. And that should be the same for us. As we see His prophecies, you know, being fulfilled in the life and ministry of the Lord and in the life and the ministry of His disciples, we should be encouraged to trust in the Word of God, to trust in the faithfulness of the promises and the prophecies found in the Word of God. Psalm 55 verse 12 to 15 depicts the betrayal of Judas you know, towards our Lord. And in Psalm 69 verse 25, we can see the source of the prediction of the removal of Judas from the office of the apostle. And Psalm 108 verse 9 promises his replacement. And this is what we can see okay, in Acts chapter 1 verse 20. Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms. Okay? May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. Then Peter mentioned about you know, who may be qualified to take over the place of Judas in the ministry? Verse 21 to verse 23. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. So beginning from, you know, the baptism of Jesus Christ, you know, by John the Baptist in the river Jordan up to the ascension of Christ. You should be an eyewitness of that for you to become an apostle. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Verse 23, And they put forward to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justus and Matthias. And so here we see their heart that is submitted to the word of God. The scripture has to be followed. The scripture must be fulfilled concerning this particular, you know, issue, this particular aspect of the ministry, and they acted upon it. What we can learn from Peter here is that seeking the Lord's will okay, to be done requires us to look into the word of God. Another lesson we can learn is about the heart that submits to the authority of the word of God. In the same way, if we want to be used by God mightily in advancing His kingdom, we must go forward with confidence in the authority of God's Word. You see, our authority when we preach the Word of God, when we preach the Gospel, does not come from our personal credentials, not from our position. It comes from the Word of God. And so we can preach and we can proclaim the truth of the gospel with all boldness and confidence because we believe its authority. So the authority comes from the word 
And if we're going to be used by God, and we're going to be part of this global gospel movement of the Spirit through the church, we need to learn to submit to the Word. Secondly, we need to learn to submit to the Lord. And that's what we can see modeled before us here by Peter and the, the disciples. Verse 24, they prayed and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Again, they took it as a matter of prayer. They prayed together and asked God to show them which one, which one of these two. Both of them are qualified. Both of them are eyewitnesses from the baptism of John until the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was taken up before them. They're, all quali they, they're both qualified, but which one of them, Lord? We don't want to make that decision. We want you to make that decision. We want you to show it to us. And so the Lord showed it to them when they casted lots. Again, it's important to realize and learn this. Submit to the leadership of the Lord. In our life and ministry, we must follow the leadership of Jesus Christ, the leadership of God. You see, in ministry, God is the one who calls and qualifies, especially for leadership position. That's why here, there are clear qualifications for the apostles, and there are also clear qualifications for pastors and elders and ministers written for us in the various books of the New Testament. So we need to look into that before we, you know, install a pastor, an elder, or a minister. Whether in life or ministry, we must submit to the authority of the Word, the authority of the Lord. So in the final preparations of the disciples before the coming of the Holy Spirit, they receive final instructions from the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they witnessed the ascension, the glorious ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were given the promise that He's coming back again. And when, you know, when Jesus was taken up from their sight, they need to go back in obedience to His Word to the place where they are promised to receive the Holy Spirit, and that is Jerusalem. And then they went up into the upper room to pray together persistently and unitedly, asking the Lord for so many things, I believe. Okay? And then they submitted to the Word of God and they submitted to the authority of the Lord. Now they're ready for the coming of the Spirit. Because now, whether in life or ministry, they are trusting God completely, just like Jesus did. So in conclusion, as Christians were called and commanded by God to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, Life and ministry are always tied together inseparably. You see, how we live affects our ministry. And what we do in our ministry, how we serve God, affects our life. We need to praise God that He has sent the Holy Spirit to enable us to live in a way that pleases Him and enables us to serve in the ministry that pleases Him. We need to live in a way that glorifies God and we need to serve God effectively 
faithfully, fruitfully, as he has called us to do. So those are the things we can learn from the final preparations of the, of the disciples before the coming of the Holy Spirit and as he gives birth to the church. The power for ministry, power for life is the Holy Spirit. He is, you know, the source of our strength. He's the one who enables us to live for the glory of God and to serve the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to testify for Him faithfully. The message is Jesus. He's the person okay, in our witnessing. The plan is to witness for Christ in our own Jerusalem, okay, in our own city and family, in the neighboring towns, and in all the places where God leads us. Remember that. Okay? Remember to come before God in prayer every day just like they did. Seek the Lord's mind. Seek the Lord's leadership. Seek the Lord's will for you as you seek to live to testify for the Lord Jesus Christ. As you seek to live on mission for Him, glorifying God by making disciples. I hope that this first chapter okay, will give us an excitement to continue in this journey as we together as a church will witness how the Spirit works okay, through His church. Through the church of Jesus Christ. Remember, it is the Spirit of God who enables us, the people of God, to faithfully testify for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, all for the glory of God. May the Lord bless you as you go out there and testify for Jesus. Seek and seize every opportunity to share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord will use you. The Lord will empower you. If you're here today, you're not a Christian yet. You're, you do not know if you are saved. In other words, if I were to ask you a question, if you were to die today, are you sure that you will go to heaven? And if your answer is, I don't know, I am not sure, then you are not saved. What you need to do is realize that you are a sinner and admit that before God. Accept the fact that you have broken God's commandments. You have broken God's law. And more importantly, you have broken God's heart by disobeying Him. And there is a punishment for your sins and my sins. The Bible says the punishment for our sin is death in hell forever. But here's the good news. You don't need to go to hell. You don't need to suffer in hell for all eternity. You can be saved. You can be delivered from the penalty of your sin, from the punishment of your sin. And that is by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and turning away from your sins. Remember that Jesus loves you. He proved His love by coming down from heaven here on earth. He took the form of a man and He lived as a servant of God, obedient to the Father even to the point of death, even death on the cross. Remember that He died for you on the cross because of your sins. And because He loves you, He paid the penalty for all of your sins. And all you need to do in response to His love is to accept His grace, His gift of salvation. How do you accept God's gift of salvation? Paul said in Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You need okay, to receive His gift. How? By turning away from your sins and by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. There is no other way. Religion cannot save you. 
Your own good works cannot save you. Your prayers cannot save you. Jesus Christ alone can save you. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. And here's the promise. The Bible says, whoever believes in Him, in Him alone. The Bible does not say believe in Him and religion, believe in Him and your good works. No. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, what a beautiful promise that is. All you need to do is believe, trust, depend on Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior. Jesus went on to say, he who believes is not condemned. But he who chooses not to believe is condemned already. Why? For the very reason, okay? The only reason why you will be condemned is this. Bible says in John 3, 18, because he has not believed on the name of the Son of God. So if you want to be saved, if you don't want to go to hell after you die, then trust in Jesus Christ alone today. He's waiting for you to call upon him. He's waiting for you to make that choice. So call upon him today. Call upon Him through prayer. Now, prayer cannot save you, but prayer is our way of communicating to God. Prayer is our way of expressing our faith to God. So here's a sample prayer. Let me lead you in a word of prayer. If you're here today and you want to receive Christ, you want to trust in the Lord as your Savior so that you will be saved from you know, the penalty of your sin, which is death in hell, then pray this prayer. But be serious. Be sincere. Talk to Jesus through this prayer. Follow after me and say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. And because of that, I deserve the punishment of sin, which is death in hell. Lord Jesus, I come before you. And I ask you to please forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me by your blood and save me from hell. Give me eternal life. I give to you now my 100% as my only Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that prayer sincerely and seriously, the Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you have truly trusted in Christ as your Savior, then in the authority of God's Word, I can say that you are saved and you are now a child of God, ready to begin a new life in Christ. Now, if you're watching and you want to get connected to Grow Point Dumagari, we would love to connect with you. So I believe that in the description box of this video, there are links okay, to all of our um, ways to connect with us. One of them is what we call Friendship Register. I, I ask you, please, click on that link, fill it up, and send it back to us so we can connect with you. We will give you free resources to get you started with your relationship with God. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Remember this, God loves you. God bless you.